Welcome back, everybody, to Story, Symbol, Spirit, a podcast about how to make sense of scripture. My name is John McCambridge, and as always, I am joined by my co-host, Jackie Mitchell, and today, producer Jerry. In the studio, producer Jerry. He doesn't have a microphone. He can't he's represent himself. He's in the background. Anything you want to You just s- have to believe that he's here. Anything you want to say about him while he can't defend himself, Jackie? Oh, lots. Jackie, uh... Do you have your drinks ready for today? Just one, actually. Just a, just an iced coffee or a cold brew, maybe? Totally different things <laughs> that John doesn't believe that are two different things. It's not that I don't believe there's two different things. It's that <laughs> I don't know if a chain restaurant like Dunkin' Donuts separates them. Out of the kindness of my heart, I got a free cold brew with any purchase. And I don't drink cold brew, so I bring in a cold brew. And John's like, there's no difference between a cold brew and an iced coffee at Dunkin'. There's no way they're differentiating. I don't it. They taste totally different. That's not true. Well, I've never done like a like a sommelier taste test. Like We're gonna you. have to. We're gonna have to round up the staff and do like a, a blind taste test. Yeah one one of the the things you've brought up on this podcast is that you love a drink. Yeah. And so we uh, wrapped up kids camp, and during kids camp, I decided that it would be nice if I got some like treats for the volunteers and yeah. for the staff, and so. I went and I bought like some Diet Cokes and some like sparkly waters. And let me tell you, people like those things got destroyed. I love a Diet Coke. People love Diet Coke. I've said it before. If it says diet in it, I just treat it like it's water because I'm like, whatever. I'm not like upping like my blood sugar. We've discussed this. I can just drink these like nobody's business. Yeah. (laughs) I don't think that's like medically accurate. (laughs) (laughs) I do love a little drink. A little fun drink. uh, Well, uh, if you enjoy this podcast, if you're listening to this mm-hmm. podcast, please leave a rating and a review on whatever pat- platform you listen on. Um, I do know for a fact, because producer Jerry can pull the analytics, yeah, that we have more listeners than reviews. And so I'm going to ask you to go ahead and leave yeah. a review or at least a rating. Uh, Jackie, what are some examples of things that people could write oh, you that would could be say, appropriate? Right. Best podcasters ever. Right, These right, guys are right. so cool. Yep. Yep. I really look up to these guys. Elite. Elite. Yeah. Elite podcast. Coolest podcast I've ever listened to. Anything like that. And, yeah. and that, that, that helps like that. us. And so uh, today we're going to get into a very important part of the story. We're going to go through Genesis chapter 12, at least the first nine verses of Genesis chapter 12. And this includes the call of Abram, mm-hmm. which really sets the stage for the rest of the Bible and the initial parts of his journey. And so I usually uh, ask, Jackie, I ask you a question like this when we begin a new part of mm-hmm. the, the story. Uh, but based on you know your your background and when you were growing up and all of that, what what was uh, what what's your understanding of Abraham? Like what was taught? What was emphasized about yeah. the story? So Abraham and Isaac always go hand in hand, right. right? So that 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 is like the central story, I would say, in terms of like like maybe Sunday school. Mm-hmm. Also that he has many sons that like is oh, the, the central, the song. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So I think Abraham's call was less emphasized. It, I don't think as many people know like how he came to mm-hmm. get to where he'll get to by the end of this chapter. Yeah. I, I think you just kind of know if you know anything about Abraham, you know, you know, he is the start of the Israelites and that he is supposed to be the father of many people, but seems like he can't have a kid. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So now so now that you mention it, I do think that the the promise of having a child when they're so old mm-hmm. and then Isaac on the mountain. Yeah, that's yeah. Right, being sacrificed. Yeah. Those are the things that we typically talk about with Absolutely, Abraham. Absolutely, right? yeah. 
But in terms of some of the characters so far, uh, Abraham takes up a lot of space. Mm-hmm. You know, he. It, we're going to read, I don't know exactly what it is, but maybe like eight, nine chapters. Yeah. Maybe more that have to do with Abraham. You know, Noah was just a couple chapters and most of it was like instructions on how to build the ark. And it wasn't a lot yeah. of interactions. You That's know? so interesting because when you think of like, who are the like central biblical figures, you do say like Noah and yep. Abraham and stuff. But this is like, we've said Noah and that's true, mm-hmm. but we're going to spend like four times the amount of, of pages just on Abraham alone. And then we'll revisit him in the New Testament a lot. Right, right. Yeah, because like we talked about last time, Paul's kind of obsessed with talking yeah. about how... Abraham somehow helps us understand Gentiles Mm -hmm. coming into the faith. Mm -hmm. And and we'll talk about that. But one of the reasons why Abraham gets so much focus is because at this moment, the redemption of God starts to narrow, Mm -hmm. right? Because in, in the covenant with Noah, which we'll keep coming back to, he says, you know, that's a covenant for humanity. Yeah. Everybody. Right. And then here he zooms in on Abram and his family. Mm-hmm. And so that requires a little bit more detail, mm-hmm. a little bit more space. And so we're going to get into, uh, we're going to, we're going to get into that today. And then probably for the next several weeks, uh, we left off where we saw that, that the, the, the tower, uh, what did we do last week? We talked about, um, the the genealogy. Yeah. The genealogy, which, which had all kinds of like geography yeah. and geopolitics mm-hmm. and history uh, which which is kind of uh, polarizing. Some people are going to find that very interesting. Some people are going to find that yeah. somewhat boring. Yeah. But it, but it is important in terms of the story. And uh, we saw at the Tower of Babel that that it was constructed at a place that was known at the time as Ur in modern day southern Iraq. Mm-hmm. And this is where Abram comes from. And so this this area will come to be known as Babylon, which is you know Tower of Babel mm-hmm. means Babylon. But it will become to, to known as the nation of Babylon in the Neo-Babylonian Empire, which we talked about last week, it's like 1,500 years later. Mm-hmm. And so the biblical authors call this Ur of the Chaldeans. Mm-hmm. And so the Chaldeans are the Neo-Babylonians, mm-hmm. the ones that take Israel into exile. And so what the biblical authors are doing is they're connecting two tragedies that take place like 1,500 years apart. Yeah. So the Tower of Babel is the first tragedy. And it's this coordinated, cooperative rebellion in which the people who were supposed to be making something to make God's name great instead make something to make their own names great. Mm-hmm. And that's like the heart of sin. That, yeah. that is the fall. And so that's a tragedy for, for the people who are living in God's world. And then 1,500 years later, the Babylonians or the Chaldeans, uh, the, there's this thing called the exile where Israel becomes so wicked that God empowers and enables the the Neo-Babylonians, the, the Chaldeans, who were also wicked, mm-hmm. to invade, destroy, and exile his own people. Yeah. Right? And so by saying Ur of the Chaldeans, the biblical author actually places the call of Abram. And what we're going to see today is the promise of salvation for the world between these two grave tragedies, mm-hmm. two grave examples of rebellion and apostasy Mm -hmm. what does that remind you of thematically well i mean we've got we've got between several tragedies already in the world hope each time right yeah it's kind of like all we've been talking about is tragedies it's like we've got (laughs) a tragedy we've got a tragedy and then we meet one guy and we're like okay a little bit of hope right 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 Mm. and so that's what god said to noah yeah. Right. He said, you know, even though you're wicked, I'm going to work through you and humanity 
to bring salvation. Yeah. And so the story of the Bible is God bringing beauty from ashes. Mm -hmm. And so what we're going to see here is from the ruins of the Tower of Babel and through the heart of the Babylonian Empire, God's promise of redemption is going to come to fruition mm -hmm. through mm -hmm. some man named Abraham, yeah. yeah, who he's going to call out of Ur. And I'm going to try not to use these interchangeably. I'm going to try to say Abram until his name gets changed to Abraham. Yeah, that's hard. Um, but it's the same person if for, for, for everybody who's listening. And where we ended is that they, uh, the, they, they settled in um, a place called Haran. Yeah, he and his father and yeah, some other relatives. Yep. Yeah, yeah, their whole household. And so uh, we're, we'll talk about this a little bit later, but it turns out that Abram and that, that household was very powerful mm. and um, had a lot of servants and a lot of possessions, and they continued to gain possessions through this story. But, mm -hmm. but they end up settling in Haran, which is in southern Turkey. And so uh, it seems like they're called out of Ur to go to Canaan, mm -hmm. but they stop. Yeah. And so the question in Genesis 12, 1 through 3 is, is this call from Haran or is it from Ur and they mm. just made a pit stop? We, mm. we don't really know. Yeah. But basically, this is the call that God makes to Abram, Genesis 12, 1 mm. through 3. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Mm. So that's quite the call. Yeah. You know, and in the ancient world, people didn't really do this. You just pack up and leave. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's a more, more of a precarious world that's not quite as connected yeah. as to what we're used to. And so to leave your family is to leave safety. To leave what you've already established is to go into the truly unknown. Mm. There's a book by Thomas Cahill called The Gift of the Jews, where he elucidates this point historically really well. He says that that this is perhaps the first time it's ever happened. Yeah. Right? Because of how clans and tribes and, and uh, family worked back then, uh, which is interesting. Um, and so, because the question is, so, so we're, you know, you're going to go to this place? Why? Who's there? Who's there? Yeah. Like, Who do you know there? Pick up and go there, and, yeah. and w w what's the certainty? And you don't know anything about it. Know anything about it? You've never been there before, yeah. right? You're from southern Iraq. He's telling you to go to what we know as Israel, Palestine, the Levant. Yeah. You know, it's different. It's a different place, different yeah. culture, different people. Um, you know, it's not the same thing as you and I finding a call from God and picking up from Columbus and going to New York, right? Sure. Would you Would yeah. you feel like that was that big of a deal? No, it's still, I mean, you can, even if you feel an uncertainty about it, you can map it. Yeah. You can Google, you know, your your area, mm -hmm. wherever you're going, find apartments before you get there. I mean, none of this is available. You mm -hmm. just have to step out by faith. Yeah. Yeah. And we're, we're more connected. Like you yeah. can keep in touch with your family, even if you move That's away true. from That's true. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. Um, we, you can work remotely. Like there's all yeah. these things that we do now that we come quickly to take for granted that is just totally unknown mm -hmm. at this time. To, yeah. so, so to pick up and just to go like this is really to put yourself in grave danger. Mm. And uh, one of the points that I always like to make when, when I read this story is uh, we're, we're wrapping up a series on Sunday morning in church called Hearing from God. Uh, it's called Tune In, Hearing God's Voice or something like that. And the, the theme of it is like, how do you hear from God? Yeah. 
And one of the things that people get frustrated by is they want God to speak loudly like you hear him speak in the Bible, where mm-hmm. it's like the angel of the Lord appeared to, you know, uh, Moses in a burning bush or, or God said to Abram. Yeah. And people want that and they wonder why he doesn't do that. And I think that there's lots of interesting theology around that. But one of the ways that I usually respond to people when they have this question is I say that sometimes he does speak like this. Mm. But when he does, he's going to ask something of you. Yeah, that's good. So what do you like what do people usually want to hear the clear voice of God about? Like a decision they're making. So or just like a like, can I have this thing? Right? Yeah. If I'm like asking, like, can I please have this? The lottery. I yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> can I win the lottery? Yes. This is what I want to hear from God. And so when but, you when you read the Bible, yeah. like when he speaks like this, what does he typically ask? Uh, everything, right? I mean, he asks people to uproot their lives. The think about, you know, it, Moses, he's mm. terrified and he wants to say no to God. I mean, he does basically yeah. the first couple times. So it's not like right. a fun like, hey, it's me, God. You're winning the lottery today. <laughs> Just wanted to let Here's you know. Money. Here's some money. Here's a promotion. Yeah, he's he's calling people to something really really serious. Yeah, so so in the you know in the burning bush, it's go and speak to the most powerful mm-hmm. man in the world and demand that he lets these slaves go. Mm-hmm. Um, with with Abram, it's leave everything that you know, yeah, and all safety that you have, and and trust me and go where I tell you. The prophets, you know, the calls of the prophets are like depressing because he 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 makes this big show and there's this amazing call and like if you think about something like Isaiah it's like okay what's the call he's like go and speak to people who will never listen They'll to never. you They'll never yeah It's like okay wow like Yeah you know these are the kinds of ways that I think when God does speak like this um it's not going to be something that brings comfort to you Yeah potentially is something that can bring incredible sanctification to you Absolutely yeah but not necessarily comfort those yeah. things don't always go hand in hand That's good um and 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 so uh, God makes this kind of call to Abram, mm-hmm. and let's look at the promise that He actually makes to him. He says, "I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you." Mm-hmm. So one of the interesting things to do, and this is not an accident, is when you compare the language here to the Tower of Babel Rebellion, mm. um, where they said to each other, come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. Come, let us build a city for ourselves with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Mm-hmm. And when you put those two verses or those two sections up next to each other, in Genesis 11, you see, they said to each other. Mm-hmm. And then in Genesis 12, when God calls Abram, it says, God said to Abram. Mm. They said to each other, God said to Abram, in Genesis 11, let us make. In Genesis 12, I will make you. Genesis 11, let us build ourselves a city. In Genesis 12, I will make you into a great nation. In Genesis 11, we will make a name for ourselves. In Genesis 12, I will make your name great. Yeah, wow. So what God is doing here, it seems like, is kind of a great reversal. Like we said, beauty from ashes. Well, how does God do that? Well, he's going to take the sin of the Tower of Babel. He's going to reverse it by his call to a man who actually comes from that sin. Mm -hmm. He's a product of that. He's from there. And so beauty is promised from the ashes, a man whose father was a pagan who worshiped those other gods. Uh, God chooses to work through him. Mm -hmm. 
and to, to bring the, the beauty from this mess. And uh, he does that with the, the call of, of, of Abram. And you see that reversal even in the language itself, which is mm. pretty cool. Um, I also want to point out that the promise that God makes to Abram is the summary of the rest of the scriptures. Yeah. So pretty much everything that we're going to read going forward. Uh, some of it is going to happen in microcosm in Abram's life. Mm-hmm. Some of it is going to start to happen as we see Israel grow and the nation that comes from Abram. And then some of it won't be fulfilled until Christ Yeah, and, and the church. But the rest of the Bible can kind of fit into that short little three verse promise. Yeah. Right? And I would argue this is the third time we've seen something like that, right? Mm. So the promise to Adam and Eve, mm. we won't see fully fulfilled until Jesus, right? Right, right. And then the promise to Noah still is continued out through the rest of the Bible, certainly. Right. And then here's Abram's call that won't still be fulfilled until we reach the end of the Bible, right? Yeah. And that's a good point because um, one of the things that Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount is, yeah. I did not come to abolish the law, which is the Mosaic covenant. Yeah. I came to fulfill it. Yeah. So even that is something that continues on yeah. in a fulfilled way after Christ, which we, we probably won't talk. And this is a good uh, this is a good reminder that Jesus doesn't just show up out of nowhere, right? We've had several allusions to him already. That's and he exactly says right. that when people ask him. He's like, "Well, haven't you read the scriptures?" Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I was know. foretold. Oh, you 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 didn't read? He tells the Pharisees that. Yeah, which They're is like crazy. <laughs> oh, well, you have oh, you, you must you not have read, read this part, huh? <laughs> <laughs> which they have memorized. You know, it's great. Um, so so let's talk a little bit about this promise and just briefly how some of the rest of the Bible fits into it. So I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. What we're going to see is eventually Abram's going to have Isaac, who's going to have Jacob. Jacob's name is going to get changed to Israel, mm-hmm. which means wrestles with God, which is a scene that, that we'll go through. And then Jacob has 12 sons and those 12 sons become the sons of Israel or the, the 12 tribes of Israel. And that nation is going to end up being blessed with land. Mm-hmm. It's going to be blessed with the intimate presence of God in the temple. It's going to be blessed with the law, which which the Torah, you know, which is the instruction on how to shine the glory of God into the world and and to to start to bring about this promise. And then ultimately, the Messiah is going to come through them. Mm-hmm. And so, it's a great and blessed nation, just like God says here. Um, he says, "I'm going to make your name great." Yeah. So because of, of Yahweh and the Messiah that comes through here, the name of Abram and his people becomes great. Because mm-hmm. how, how long ago was this? I mean. It's like 4,000 yeah. years ago. We're still talking about this yeah. guy. Right? So, so we know Abram's name. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know who we're not talking about? Mm. The builders of the Tower of Babel. Yeah. Why did they build that tower? To make their own names great. We're not talking about them. Yeah. We don't know them. We don't know their names, right? Um, but here, God says he's going to make Abram's name great. And guess what? His name is. His name is great. Yeah. And so we've talked a lot about genealogies and and we've kind of lightheartedly joked a little bit. But part of the reason genealogies are, are so important is because a genealogy is when someone's name gets written down and remembered. Yeah. And so the names that we remember, the names that are made great are the names that God makes great. Mm-hmm. If we try to do this on our own, we fail, right? Our, our world is full of people who are trying to go about the Tower of Babel yeah, to make a name for themselves. And they might find fame right now. They'll be forgotten. Yeah. Right. And, 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 and yet uh, connected to God, 
there might be glory. Mm-hmm. Right? That's that's part of his promise. And you yeah. see that here with, with Abram. And so he makes his name great. Uh, you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And so as they walk in obedience with God, God's going to be with them. He's going to bless them. And ultimately the fruit of the promise is that God's going to bless all of the nations, mm-hmm. all of the rebels that came from the tower of Babel. Mm-hmm. These are enemies of God. Yeah. I mean, remember, like remember what they did. And so they're going to be blessed through God's call of, of Abram. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, according to Paul, uh, standard Orthodox Christian King Jesus theology is that all of the nations are grafted into the blessed family of Abraham through the Messiah, King Jesus. Yeah. And so that's the fulfillment of this promise, mm-hmm. right? That all of the nations will be blessed. Well, how does that work? Well, it turns out it works that through, through Christ. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, we belong to Yahweh in Christ. We've been grafted into the family, and so all the peoples are blessed through through Abram. Yeah. Mm. And the interesting thing about this, and I'm, I'm glad that you just talked about how Jesus doesn't really make up his own theology out of nowhere, yeah. because what's one of the most shocking things that Jesus teaches? Mm. Who are we supposed to love? Our enemies. Yeah. Supposed to love your enemies. Yeah. And he actually says, you know, it's written— uh, love your enemy or, or hate your enemies and, and love your neighbor. Yeah. Uh, which actually isn't written in the Bible. So, mm. so uh, it, it may have been written in other, you know, material. Yeah. He says, you have heard it said. You have heard it said, yeah. right? You have heard it said. But one of the things I would argue is that while that kind of, you know, to love your enemy kind of seems like a, a stunning ethical imperative, uh, it, it's actually exactly what God has always been doing. Mm. So as soon as we rebel from God, we're enemies, mm-hmm. right? Do you remember that C.S. Lewis quote from yeah. New Christianity? Yeah, the the man is not just imperfect. Yeah. Um, he's a rebel who needs to lay down his arms. Right. Yeah. So when we sin, when we take the fruit that belongs to God, mm-hmm. when we try to make a name for ourselves instead of God, that's not a neutral act, mm-hmm. right? Uh, there's a pastor named Andy Stanley who has a—, a a curriculum for new Christians. And one of the things he focuses on is he says, we're called sinners. We're not called mistakers. Mm, mm-hmm. So much of the way that we try to talk about sin is we try to say that we make mistakes, Yeah, which is true to a degree, but much of our sin is conscious. Yeah. And we absolutely. know what we're doing and it's for the purposes of our glory. Yeah. It's not even usually like, Oh, I really want this thing. I just can't control myself. Yeah. We've already seen this kind of sin play out, mm-hmm. right? It's what motivated Adam and Eve right? for their own glory, their their own knowledge, their own wisdom on their own time. right? Certainly w- part of what motivated Cain to kill Abel mm-hmm. was the jealousy that his name wasn't being honored or blessed, right? Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so envy yeah. has to do with your own, your own glory. Yeah. Right. Um, um, it, it, vanity mm-hmm. has to do with your own glory in a lot of ways things like sexual sin has to do with your own glory because mm-hmm. we have this deep desire to be wanted by people mm-hmm. and that's an easy way to measure being desirable sure and so it all runs deep into this this thing that you see at the at the tower of babel and ultimately uh by rejecting god in that way you are to some degree aligning yourself with the forces of this world who are opposed to him yeah right 
And so this is what happens at the Tower of Babel. And what God promises Abram is that it is those nations that he's going to bless through Abram. Yeah. So that's loving your enemies, right? Mm -hmm. This is the very, very beginning of the story of the redemption of God. And so not only when Jesus says, love your enemies, not only is that not new theology, it is perhaps the oldest theology yeah. of the Bible. Wow, that's good. Right. Uh, and and so um, w- when we when we go forward, like these nations are not going to be painted in a good light. Mm-hmm. We're going to see why they are enemies of God. We're going to see them in action. You know, they're child sacrificers. Mm-hmm. They're violent and wicked in their power and they're deniers of the sovereignty of, of Yahweh. They're worshipers of demons. Mm-hmm. They're enemies. Mm-hmm. And these are the people that God has promised to bless through Abram. Mm-hmm. And so God's been loving his enemies from the beginning and the culmination of his redemptive mission is to bless mm-hmm. the nations through Christ who, who are opposed to him. Uh, and so as Christians, we believe that in Christ, all nations might be blessed. All people might be yeah. blessed. That's why we, we, we do missions. That's why yeah. we go preach the gospel. That's why we go plant churches, right? Um, and Jesus fulfills this promise, but he's not making it up. Yeah. Uh, and, and it makes sense because Christ is the eternal son of God who is of the same essence mm-hmm. as the father. And so if God has been loving his enemies from the beginning, then the enfleshed son is going to yeah. embody that himself. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, okay. So that is a, a, a pretty concentrated theology on the first three chapters. Yeah. Right. Three so verses. yeah, the, yeah, the yeah. First three verses. So, so let's just do, let's do one. Let's do 12, four. Okay. So Abram went as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai and his nephew Lot and all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan and they arrived there. So like we said with Abram and Abraham, Sarai's name is going to be changed to Sarah, which we'll talk about what that means and why. But if we... If you or I mess up and interchange in the story, just yeah. know that Sarah and Sarai are the same person and Abram and Abraham. Is the yeah, same they got person. names changed to like really similar sounding I names <laughs> for us. It's kind of hard. But it's like yeah. Paul and Saul. I know. Pick it's like it? pick like a further name away. Like if, yeah. if God called me and he's like, your name is going to be Juan. I know. It's like, like oh, okay. oh, well. Maybe something. Else. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So uh, the first uh, sentence here or the first really mm-hmm. phrase is so, an Abram went. Yeah. So this is absolutely crucial. Mm-hmm. Um, God calls him to do something uncomfortable. He calls him to do something crazy. He calls him to do something that's not safe. That's not practical. And he does it. Yeah. Right. So our, our pastor here at 514 church, Joel, he has one tattoo and it's, and it is uh, this phrase in Hebrew Vayelech um, Avram, mm. which means and Abram went. And so what we're going to see is that disobedience will become more focused and explicit in Genesis 15, 6, when God tells Abram that if he counts the stars in the sky, then it will be the number of his offspring. And it says that Abram believed him and it was credited to him as righteousness or it was reckoned to him as righteousness. And so Abraham's trust and then his action upon that trust mm. is the source of his righteousness. Mm-hmm. So when Paul gets to this, uh, I think it's in Romans 4, 
he says that Abram is justified by God because he believed and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. This is the kind of faith that the Bible is talking about. Mm. So faith uh, is not just an intellectual decision. Yeah, we don't hear Abram say, okay, I know that you'll do that. He just does what God says to do. He does it. We don't even see his verbal response if he has one. He just gets to doing what God says to do. So our Protestant tradition, because uh, in the break from the Roman Catholic Church, a big issue was salvation by works Mm -hmm. versus faith. And what it meant in the Reformation was works like, you know, uh, um, um, uh, taking communion as a thing that you do to get the grace of God or... um, selling indulgences, mm-hmm. right? Or buying indulgences as a thing that you do to get the grace of God. And so there was this break there. But uh, some Protestant theology has become a caricature of this. Yeah. Where we're so concerned with saying that you can't do anything to earn God's grace that we say you actually don't have to do anything. Yeah. You just have to think that Jesus is who he says he is. Right, and yeah. and if you think it, then you're saved. Well, maybe you need to say the sinner's prayer, but that's really just a right. And then you you get baptized because it's an outward expression of an inward decision, but it doesn't actually mean yeah. anything. And you take communion as a memorial to Jesus, but nothing's actually happening in communion when you take it. And I think that all of that is somewhat incorrect, mm. right? It's somewhat correct, but it's like so reductive that it misses this. Uh, obedience is required. Yeah. Not perfect obedience. Like if you mess up, you're done. Yeah. Of course, the mercies of God are fresh every morning. Um, but but the grace that God has given us is the salvation through Jesus Christ. Yeah. That is what we could never do on our own. When we're called to be the church, we're called to obedience. Yeah. And if we say we believe, it has to affect our actions. Right. So someone, some someone has asked me before, do you have to get baptized? Mm. And my answer to that question is yes, because Jesus commanded it. Mm. And they say, but the baptism isn't what saves you. And I say, that's correct. Yeah. So, so why do we have to get baptized? And my answer is because being a Christian is not doing the absolute bare minimum to make yeah. sure you go to heaven when you yeah. die. Being a Christian is aligning yourself with Jesus. Yeah proclaiming him as the king and therefore following him into whatever mm-hmm. he calls you to, mm-hmm. right? And so the the righteousness that's reckoned to Abram is not because he thinks something. Yeah. It's because that thought and that trust in what God says leads him to follow him. Yeah. And he does. Salvation goes through Abram uh because he follows God. Yeah. Right? Now that's still grace. Abram yeah. can't do what God's going to do by himself, yeah. right? He has no ability to to change the course of history, but but he doesn't. And one of the things that's interesting uh, is that in Genesis eleven thirty one, it says that Terah, Abraham's father, took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, the son of Haran, and his daughter in law Sarai, and the uh, the wife of his son Abram, and together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. Mm-hmm. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Yeah, they stopped. And so it doesn't say this explicitly, but I think it is totally reasonable to draw from this text that God called Abram and Terah 
to go. Mm. Because why were they going to Canaan? Yeah. Right? But what happened? They stopped. They stopped. Yeah. And at that time, um, if you're traveling with with your 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 father, he is the head. Mm-hmm. Right? So if he makes the decision to stop in Haran, then then you stop. Uh, but he does stop. Mm-hmm. And so guess who is not the person we're talking about right now? Yeah. Yeah. So Abram goes. Mm-hmm. And Abram continues this journey, which we're going to see, and he goes where God tells him to go. Mm-hmm. Um, the only other thing that we can draw from this verse that I think is interesting is that Lot goes with Abram. Yeah. Which I don't know if that was commanded by God. Oh, you think maybe he was like, I don't like, know. It's interesting. Sure, I'll go with now, you. now, you know, this would be total conjecture, but you're going to see that. Uh, Lot gets Abraham into some trouble. Yeah, Lot's name isn't as like revered as Abraham. No, he's he's he, kind of making some shady decisions he does. along the line. He yeah. does. He does. Um, but one of the things that's interesting is one of the themes that you're going to see in the story of Abram is who is the seed? Is Isaac? Is that what you're... It will become Isaac. It will become Isaac. But who is it right now? They don't have kids. They don't have any kids. It's Lot. It's Lot. Okay. Because he's, he's his nephew. nephew. Yeah. So right now the seed is Lot. Mm. So what you're going to see is how does the seed act versus uh, what God desires. Mm. And okay. part of the miracle of Isaac is it takes Lot out of the the heir mm-hmm. position of of this. Um, mm. And so that that's going to become an important storyline. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, but but nonetheless, they they set out for Canaan. So let's mm. read uh, six through seven. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Marah at Shechem. And at the time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. Nice. You need to work on your Hebrew gutturals. Gosh, I know. It's it's Shechem. (laughs) I wasn't going to get that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just kidding. You can just say Shechem. Okay. Um, So Abram uh, arrives in a land that's already occupied. Yeah. It's occupied by the Canaanites. And who we've already kind of met. Yeah, so who do they, who are they? That's Ham's descendants, yeah, which Ham's right. the, the, the youngest, correct, of Noah's sons who rebels against him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Ham's the one who tries to take Noah's cloak of mm-hmm. uh, kingship, Yeah, right? That, that's what we talked about a few episodes ago. Um, and so these are the Canaanites that the prophecy that Noah gives to Ham is that Canaan will be the slave of Shem. Mm-hmm. So, so uh, uh, from that moment on, they're kind of opposed to the people through whom God's promise is going to yeah. run through Shem, and then eventually uh, we we get to Abram. So Abram goes into the midst of of these people, and they're already established; they're already somewhat powerful. And he arrives with his family and in, in, in Lot's family, and uh, God makes this extraordinary promise. You know, to to your offspring, I'm going to give this land. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so Abram, you know, could have said, you know, I don't, I don't think so. That sounds ridiculous. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't want this. And who knows? Maybe he had these conversations with God. Moses certainly has these conversations with yeah. God, and he gets called, right? Yeah. Um, but instead, uh, what it seems like Abram does is he builds an altar, mm-hmm. and most likely he makes a sacrifice that illustrates his trust in this crazy promise mm-hmm. that God has given him. And so once again, the faith of Abram will be reckoned to him as, as righteousness. His actions really remind me of what Noah did mm-hmm. right after the ark exactly. as well. 
Yeah. Exactly. Uh, so one of the repeating patterns that you're going to see in the story of Abram uh, and then moving forward in Genesis is the idea of these people of God are supposed to be the priests to the Gentiles. Mm-hmm. They're the ones who are supposed to shine the glory of God to the rest of the world, right? Because that's the promise. Through you, we're going to bless the world. So mm-hmm. what is part of their job? Mm-hmm. Part of their job is to show the people who do not know Yahweh what Yahweh is like. Mm-hmm. That's actually even a big part of the point of the Mosaic covenant, the law. Mm-hmm. So we look at the law and and we're going to think that it's crazy because it has all these rules and regulations and that's ridiculous and uh, we're so glad that we're free from all of that. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's typically the way we talk about it. But but part of the reason that they were given this law is because in the way that they lived, in the way that they worshiped, in the way that they considered uh, things holy and profane, clean and unclean, they were supposed, in the way they treated each other, their social uh, uh, rules and, and, and norms, when the nations came and they look at what's going on, they say, that looks pretty good. I wonder who their God is. Yeah. I wonder who they're worshiping. Yeah. So this is always going to be part of what the people of God are supposed to be doing, mm-hmm. um, blessing the nations. And so Abram goes into a land that's occupied with people who already worship other gods. And he's making altars mm. to Yahweh. Yeah. And so he's claiming ground. Yeah. Right. This is the beginning of Abram's mission to claim this ground, to claim this land for himself. And altars, when we, you know, we're not quite as familiar with altars. If we are, it's kind of maybe in like the Catholic church context. Yeah. Um, But, you know, in the ancient world, an altar was a pile of rocks that began on the ground and then it goes up towards heaven, Mm -hmm. right? So you build these rocks in like this kind of triangle pyramid type form similar to a temple, a temple starts on the ground and it goes high up into the air, like the ziggurat at Babel. Mm -hmm. Let's make a tower that reaches the heavens. That's what these things were. And kind of also like a mountain, which is like a natural thing that starts in the ground and goes up into the heavens. Mm -hmm. And we'll see that, that mountains are places where people will meet with God a lot. Yeah. We'll see that recurring thing. Uh, and so an altar is is kind of like this. It's like a miniature form of this mm-hmm. thing that begins on the ground and then it goes up towards the heaven. And in the middle of the altar, kind of like elevated off the ground, there's a space where you sacrifice. Mm-hmm. And so um, heaven gets connected to the ground and in the middle, there's the mediation of mm-hmm. a sacrifice mm-hmm. that connects the two. And so there's going to become symbolic significance in this because it foreshadows what we see in Christ. Yeah, absolutely. He's the ultimate sacrifice and he's the ultimate mediator. And how does he die? Up on a cross. He's raised up off of the ground and he's in between heaven and earth Mm -hmm. like a, like a sacrifice in an altar. Mm -hmm. Right. And so this is what uh, Abram is is doing. He starts making these altars to Yahweh in a land of idolatry. Mm -hmm. And it, it says the, the, uh, the oaks of Moray at Shechem. Mm. And so oaks are trees. This is kind of our symbolic part of our hermeneutic, right? Yeah. So oaks are trees, and uh, it's going to become very important in the way that God communicates with his people. But, but a tree uh, starts on the ground and then goes up into heaven, mm-hmm. like we've been talking about. But then at the top, there's this leafy crown 
mm-hmm. that protects the people who are underneath it from harshness. Yeah. Right? Rain, yeah. storm, sun, whatever. Uh, and so putting yourself under that protection is going to become symbolic of putting yourself under the protection mm-hmm. of Yahweh. And when you read the stories about trees, you know, in, in a few chapters in Genesis 18, uh, Yahweh himself as the angel of the Lord, which we'll talk about, yeah, and two other angels, mm-hmm. they come and they have dinner with Abram amongst the oaks of Mamre. Yeah. Right? Very strange story. Mm-hmm. Uh, Eden was full of what? Trees. The ark was built of what? Wood. Which comes from? Trees. <laughs> so, so you start to see this idea of trees as protection, mm-hmm. trees as the place where God communes with, with his people. And even the way a tree looks is symbolic of, of God. Mm-hmm. The, especially, I mean, if you've ever seen giant oak trees, you know, I yeah. mean, they're, they're huge. We're not, we're not talking about just like little trees in our backyard. These are giant yeah. trees in, in the ancient Near East that provide, you know, protection and just like being in the ark, being protected by God, being underneath a tree mm-hmm. reveals the same thing. There's an interesting story when Jesus calls his disciple Nathaniel and he says, ah, behold, a true Israelite. And Nathaniel says, well, how did you know that about me? And Jesus said, I saw you under the tree. Mm. And Nathaniel is like shocked by this. He's like, mm. wow, like you're a true prophet. And Jesus says, you will see greater things than this. You will see the son of man ascending and descending, right? Mm-hmm. Which is mm-hmm. what happens to Jacob. Jacob has a dream. Yeah. And the angels are ascending and descending on this ladder yeah. that goes up in, into heaven. And uh, so what Jesus is saying is that that ladder that connects heaven and earth, that a tree symbolizes, mm-hmm. that an altar symbolizes, that a mountain symbolizes, that's going to happen when you see me on the cross mm-hmm. connecting heaven and earth and yeah. everything that comes cool. after it. And so trees are very significant in the Bible. And we talked about at the very beginning of this podcast, that's because everything in creation has the fingerprint of God on it. Mm-hmm. So it points to something beyond its its sheer materiality, mm-hmm. right? Um, the only other thing here is that more means teacher or mm-hmm. proclaimer. And so Abram pitches his tent in the trees of proclamation, mm. right? proclaiming God, proclaiming Yahweh, and he's proclaiming allegiance and, and faithfulness to him. Mm. So you start to see really this obedience, like we saw with Noah, happen with Abram. Yeah. He's really doing what God is telling him to do. Yeah. Immediately. Immediately. Like, yeah. And so the last two verses that, that we'll read today, eight and nine. From there, he went on towards the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram sent out and continued toward the Negev. So Abram pitches his tent, sets up his dwelling in this land that's already occupied, and he calls on the name of the Lord, Mm -hmm. and that means he worships Yahweh. Yeah, we don't use that phrase as much now. Right, exactly. Um, To call on the name of the Lord is to worship. Mm -hmm. Um, And so in the midst of rebels... In the midst of the sons of Ham, the Canaanites, Mm -hmm. Abram begins to faithfully worship God. Mm. And so you think about there's there's like uh, weird details in the Bible sometimes, right? So so here talks about 
how Bethel is on the West and I is on the East. Mm-hmm. And you're kind of like, is that necessary? Like, do we, do yeah. we need to know that? Okay. Like, I mean, even if you were familiar with those places, like you would need to know that even less. Yeah. So like, what, why are we saying that? And, and one of the things is that we have to remember that we talked about this before, uh, the cardinal directions, North, South, East, West. Yeah. They, they mean something. Mm-hmm. And so far, when people go east, what has that typically meant? Turning away from God. Yeah. yeah. Like Adam and Eve are sent east of the garden mm-hmm. at the beginning. Mm. And then Cain is sent east of Eden. Yeah. And then the descendants of Ham, like mm-hmm. Nimrod, goes all the way to Ur. Yeah. Way east mm-hmm. of the, the promised land. Um, and uh, that, that's where the Tower of Babel happens, mm-hmm. east. And so then the call of Abram is to come where? West. Back west. Yeah. Right? Um, all the way back to, to, to Canaan, modern-day Israel, Palestine. And so it says that he pitches his tent in between Bethel, which is on the west, and Ai, which is on the east. Mm. So Bethel is not called Bethel yet. Right. Because Jacob's going to name it Bethel, mm. because this is where he has his dream. Yeah. Bethel. It says, surely God was here and I didn't know. Yeah. So I'm going to call this the house of God. Mm. Bet, El. Bet means house. El means God. Mm. Um, and so Bethel's on the west. The house of God is west. Mm. And then I is on the east. And what you're going to see when we get to the conquest narratives in Joshua is that the first city that gets conquered is Jericho. Mm-hmm. And then the second city that gets conquered is I. Mm. So even in the conquest, they're going to be coming from the West, mm. Jericho, I, into the promised land, mm. right? Um, so, so, so West means towards God. East means away from God. Mm. And so here you see Abram going towards God. He's, yeah. he's moving West yeah. uh, into where God told him to, to go. And then actually at the end, it says he goes he goes south. Negev actually means south. Mm. And the Negev is the region that's kind of south of the promised land, and it's a desert. Yeah. So it's very, very dry. Uh, it's somewhat of an infamous area because it's hot, hard to survive there. It gets like eight inches of rain per year. Mm. Wow. I think we got eight inches of rain yesterday. Yesterday, so, yeah. Um, and so next week, we're going to see that in this harsh land, the famine hits. And Abram's going to be forced to go down mm-hmm. into Egypt, mm-hmm. which is a story that will repeat itself with Many his times. descendants. Yeah, right? yeah, absolutely. Uh, and so, so we'll, uh, we'll we'll pick up there next week. But very, very rich nine verses of scripture. Mm-hmm. Right. This is one of the reasons we've committed to going slow. Yeah. Because I have a class where we do six weeks and we go through the whole Bible in a narrative form, mm-hmm. and I, you know, I get to spend five minutes on the promise to Abram. Yeah. And that's not enough. Like it's enough yeah. for the context of the class, but it's not enough. Yeah. Like all that is in there is is really really beautiful and knowing Abram is going to help because, you know, Paul's going to talk about him a lot and mm-hmm. you know, uh the Pharisees and Jesus are both going to be claiming to be the sons of Abraham. And, yeah. You know, Jesus is going to say actually you're the sons of the devil, which is spicy. <laughs> um but this is the beginning really of God's specific redemptive uh, um, mission, right? And so Abram demonstrates his faith by going and calling on the name of the Lord. 
And this is exactly what makes him righteous. Mm. Uh, so, so what we're going to get into next time is, uh, even though Abram is is pretty righteous, not everybody around him is righteous, and mm. he's still in the midst of sin. And so, God, even working through Abram, who's been reckoned as righteous, uh, still has to to compete in this broken world of, of sin and evil. And we're going to see the actual first story of Pharaoh. Yeah. So we usually think Pharaoh shows up in the Exodus. Mm-hmm. That's the story that we know about Pharaoh. But almost the exact same thing happens here on like a smaller scale mm-hmm. ne- next week. And so uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get into that uh, and and uh, the rest of the story of Abram as we move forward. Yeah. yeah. Got anything else? No. Okay. Excited. All right. Well, thank you guys for listening, and we'll see you next week on Story Simple Spirit. Thank you.